Well, guys, grab a Bible if you want, Proverbs chapter 17. With that, we've been saying on Wednesday nights, we've also provided for you a little booklet that is the Bible, actually. And so if you are interested in using this, we've printed the whole of Proverbs 17 out there. We've been printing out a chapter at a time, giving this to you so that you could be able to use this in a special way on Wednesday nights and inviting you to use that. If you need one, they are available in the back. If you're joining us online, we want to make sure to not make you feel left out. You can get a copy of this as well. You can go to our website, calvaryroswell.com, go into the messages, go to today's message, and you'll find a little link that says downloads. Click that, download the notes, and you'll get a PDF of this that you can print out or just use on an electronic device. Either way, we're inviting you through this. The reason we're doing the booklet is because we really recognize almost the difficulty that Proverbs can bring, the, because each verse so often stands on its own and kind of being able to walk that through in different ways. So we're going to use a, a pattern that I've been using over the last few weeks that uses green up here on the screen for good, uses red for bad, kind of the blue for the, the connection, the purple uh, for the things that are God. We'll use the, the circle or the box to focus on the main thing and then the line to do the result. That's going to be how I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to say again, you might have a better way. You probably don't have colors, and that's fine. So you can use whatever design you're wanting to use, but we are wanting you to be able to see it. We are wanting you to be able to make contrast to see what's being laid out there so that the Proverbs, the wisdom that God would give us this evening would be just understood by you. And yet in it, we say each week, we're longing that something tonight lands in a very special way. I believe in God's favor. I believe in his just perfect work in you and that he would be able to take his word and help you understand all that's there before us. But then in that, just something that would land and say, okay, that's what I'm going to have to chew on a little bit. This is the truth that I needed tonight. And so we're inviting you to seek that, look for that, ask for that. So I'm going to lead you in prayer. Let's ask him. Let's ask him that he communicate to us what he has in store for us and that we would indeed uh, just hear what he has. Father, we just take a moment right now and pray, uh, just each one of us, and saying, Lord, here we are, presenting ourselves to you and saying, Lord, so grateful for your word, so grateful for your truth. Would you help us to understand it? Would you help us to comprehend those things that you would have for us tonight? Would you give us understanding in the midst of it? And then, Lord, in your great favor, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. Well, the, the wonder of that is it's, precise, so often very personal. Your ability to work through me, that maybe even using words that I say, that would land. But Lord, you're, you're capable of doing it entirely outside of that. You could just make the words almost jump off the page as it was, that they would just see exactly what you, you were speaking to them. Do that so that we get it, we hear it, and your word just is at work in our lives, shaping us and forming us. Lord, do that now. Do that here, please. We're asking for that from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are picking up where we left off last week. We made it up through verse 15. So if you want to have the booklet, you can turn over to page 6 or verse 16. You can join us tonight in Proverbs 17, verse 16, longing that God would speak to us His Word. We dive in there, and maybe one of the first things we just get a chance to be reminded of is that right now, more important than your ability to comprehend is the person that you are. More important than all the technical things that can surround understanding really is the reality that's behind that. 
He gives it to us this way in verse 16 by just telling us why. Is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it? It's a powerful question. So the question that we want to just make sure we're seeing, it says, why would there be there? So if you have a fool, you know, someone who is foolish and, and by heart is foolish, and yet almost just imagining that they are as if, as if wisdom could be purchased, as if it could be, you know, just supplied that way that they would have money in hand and saying, hey, give me wisdom. He says, why would they have that? Because, you know, that why would they have that in many ways? Why would they have the purchase price of wisdom, you know, in the midst of this sense, he has no heart. Sense, there is in a sense that there is nothing there. Now, I want you just to pause and think about this because, again, it's a profound reality. Now, in one sense, please understand, it's probably almost absurd. You know, to, if a fool doesn't want wisdom, why would he want to buy it? And yet it does happen sometimes. Well, what are you saying, Jim? Well, again, what I need you to understand is that the ability to get wisdom is much more than just a, a mental acuity. It's not just a, a gaining of facts and understanding. He says it really is about heart. Now, the Hebrew word that we've talked about often for, for heart, it's not about your emotions. He's not here saying, you know, you need to have some emotionally, you know, balanced kind of personality. It speaks about the inner person. It, it speaks about the person that you are on the inside. And he's saying, here's this person, they don't even have any heart for it. Like, that's not what they really want inside, so why would they even try? I think about it this way. You know, in Proverbs, back in, in verse, chapter 9, verse 10, we got one of the foundational ones that actually is spoken of throughout Proverbs where he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, like if you want to get wisdom, then this is the basis of it. You have to fear God. You got to believe that there is a God. You have to believe in God and, and know Him. So if you refuse this, if you refuse to believe in God, if you refuse to submit to God, if you refuse to acknowledge the Holy One, you're never going to get understanding. It's never going to work that way. I think about it in Psalm 14 where it says, you know, the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. I mean, just to refuse that. In fact, in the actual Hebrews, like, no, God. Like, I don't, I don't believe there's a God and I'm refusing his authority in my life. So if you have someone there, then it's no point. There's no point in them doing it. Let's say it differently, maybe more just actual kind of thing. For a fool to sit in church, it's a waste of time. For someone who won't submit to God, who is refusing to believe in God. I mean, not the place where they're seeking. Please understand, if you're a seeker and you are outside of it right now, but you're kind of curious, like, I'm just trying to figure this out, then we are welcome. You're, you're so glad to be here. We, we love you, and we hope that God would draw you. We believe in his power to do that. But if you refuse, you know, why? if you say, like, I, I, I'm never going to do what God says. You know, I don't believe in him. I don't believe in the power of his word. I refuse to do that. Then why go to church? I mean, it's kind of what he's saying. Why would you have the purchase price of wisdom? Why would you expend the energy, time, and effort when the problem is not that you're just in the wrong location? The problem is that you're wrong. And until that's fixed, nothing else will fix it. And it's a good place for us just to start and say, hey, here's the deal. It really is in so many ways determinative about where you are right now. That tonight... If you are in this space and you are refusing God, you're going to miss all of this. There's no way that the investment of your time this evening is going to do your soul good till you believe, 
till you come to a recognition of who God is, submitting to him, till you come to a saving relationship with him through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You know, there's wisdom, there's great things that God can build on that foundation, but there's no other foundation that anybody can lay, nothing else that can go there. So if you're outside of that, we call you to Christ this evening. But even if you are inside that, I just want to say again, it is interesting that so often what determines what you get out of instruction is who you are on the inside. That what you're bringing into this space really is determining what you're going to get out of it. Jesus would talk about it with the parable of the soils. You know, he says, you know, the seed goes out and really if your heart is hard, if your heart is shallow, if your heart is weedy, you're missing out, you know, because there's a lack of really being there. So there's a place where he's calling us to be this place where we'd say, okay, you know, it's not enough to just have the purchase price of wisdom. It's not enough to show up at church and think, well, you know, I went to church, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, might not be the church's fault. I mean, no, don't get me wrong, sometimes it could be. I mean, sometimes it's the person's like, I, yeah, it was a really bad message and really wasn't good. But sometimes it really was, you had the purchase price, but you were wrong. And I've come to find out when you're, when you're right, it's amazing how God can speak to you even in spite of somebody who's not doing a great job, that he can meet you in great favor. And so often it determines your heart into this. And so it's a good place for us to recognize the need that it would be there, that so often what keeps people from wisdom, it's not that they're not smart enough. It, it's not that they couldn't get it. It's that they refuse. They refuse to have a heart. They refuse to say, God, I submit to you. I, I submit to you on the inside. And then God opens up incredible things. Well, he gives that to us. And again, a good reminder just to draw us away from living such a life. So keep going. Next one. Verse 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So this is actually a pretty well-known proverb. Many of you guys would recognize as he kind of says, okay, here's the thing, a friend, someone who's really a friend loves at all times. Now, I have seen this so many times. If you've ever kind of gone to like a Christian bookstore and you find like those bookmarks where they have like your names on them, do they still make those any longer? I don't know. But if they, if they still do, this is always, this is like it's, like, it's like, hey, this is who you are. You're like a friend and a friend loves at all times. And, and it's just familiar. I mean, you'll just find this just over and over and not a bad one because that's what a real friend is. It says a friend, someone who's really a friend, is what we would say in our, in our modern vernacular, you're not a fair weather friend. You know, you're not just the friend that's there when things are good. If you're, a real friend is the kind of person that says, hey, you know what? Thick and thin, you know, well, there'll be good days, bad days. That's what a friend is. I mean, that's what a, a friend does. And we are called to be that. Proverbs is going to speak about that a number of times, where it's going to call us to be friends that we are meant to be that way. This isolation that is so much a part of our culture is unbiblical and even sinful. We are made for connection and connection with God, with each other, and we're made for friendships. And so there is this beautiful place of someone who says, I'm a friend. Like you and I, like I'll be your friend. And, and, we'll, and, and we'll go through life. We'll do life together. And I'll be there when it's good and I'll be there when it's bad. That's what friends do. That's what a real friend is. We don't just hang out when it's fun. We're, we're friends. That's a good space. But then he adds to it. And a brother, a brother is born for adversity. Now, I should be clear that for some uh, Bible students, they'll look at this and say it might be talking not just about a physical brother or physical family, that it might be saying, hey, that there's even a, a closer level to this that's born for this. That's possible. But it's also even maybe more likely just saying, hey, family's family. 
You know, I wish it was so. I, I mean, I'm going to say very quickly, in our broken world, it's not always so. But I wish it was so. I mean, I don't know about anybody else. I know we had this conversation with our, our girls raising them, where we just told them, you know, family's family. You know, friends, and sometimes friends come and go. I mean, you hope you have friends forever, but sometimes friends don't. But family is meant to be family. And we would we'd just tell our kids, like, you, you always, I mean, don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose, you know, that a family is there, and you're there even in the difficult spaces. Why? Because you're family. I mean, that's what family does. I mean, family is that place of where you don't abandon each other, and it's, and it's not just friendship, it's, it's just this connection, and it's a good space for us uh, to kind of recognize that. Again, I, I just say it briefly, I know in our broken world it's not always that way. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week, that there in uh, Timothy it tells us that in the last days that even family love or normal love is so often going to be lacking in these last days cultures, and so I just going to tell you, I know it's true. I've done enough counseling. I've walked with enough people. Some people are like, man, your family is fractured. Like, like, I mean, family is supposed to be thicker, you know, like blood's supposed to be thicker than water, but yours isn't. You know, it's just, I mean, it's just not working that way, but it's wrong. I mean, it's, you know, family's supposed to be family. Now, this is a fun thing to even kind of apply it, but interestingly enough that Old Testament scholars from thousands of years ago saw this not just as a practical picture, but ultimately a picture of our Savior, uh, that, that they saw that behind this was something so much more. David Guzik said it this way, the ancient Jews applied this proverb to Christ, seeing it as a testimony that the divine Messiah would come by incarnation and become the brother of man. Now, this is a fascinating thing because they literally saw this before Jesus came. They just saw something in here that, you know, that this one who would be born for adversity, that in one sense would be there. And, and the beautiful, simple thing is that's exactly what happened. I mean, that's exactly what happened. I mean, yeah, there's friends that love it all the time, but a brother is born. And there's something about even that understanding that Christ was born. I mean, that he literally took on flesh and, and, and became a child there, and, and he was born for our adversity. He was born to rescue us, that he was born to enter into our broken world and take our sin and shame and adversity on him. By his stripes, we're healed, and it's a beautiful picture, and I just want to tell you it is so. You know, I think about it, you know, it's because of this that, you know, you know some would say, you know, you're just thinking about that Christ is that one, that he is the one that when you think about the, the ultimate friend or the ultimate family, it, you know, surpassed by what we have in Christ that no matter what you have in this world, Jesus is a friend. You know, we think about that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. You know, what a friend. What it is to find Jesus to be your friend. To say, you know, here's this one who would be this. If everybody else is leaving, he doesn't. Because he entered into this world to never abandon me. It's an incredible picture, again, just for us understanding that it is certainly so, that he is that one. And I hope you have it. I hope in many ways that, I hope you have actual friends in your life, but I want to tell you, I hope Jesus is your best friend. I hope you found him to be this to you and find out he'll be more than anything else would be. All right. Well, let's keep going. Verse 18. A man, devoid of understanding, shakes hand in a pledge and becomes a surety for his friend. So someone who doesn't understand, who doesn't walk in wisdom, who isn't understanding the ways that wisdom is supposed to work, shakes his hands in a pledge and becomes a surety for his friend. 
Now, we have already talked about this a couple times in Proverbs, so I'm just going to kind of just briefly say it again. There's a financial picture here, uh, a place where somebody would take on total responsibility for somebody else. It's not just speaking about co-signing for somebody, though even that should be taken with you know, great wisdom and care. In that context, it was the idea of someone saying, hey, I take on all responsibility for this person. I'm, I'm becoming a pledge for them. Anything they do, it's on me kind of deal. And it just says, hey, that's a bad way to do it. But it's probably talking more than just financial, right? I mean, you guys know this, right? I mean, if we were to use a different term and I were to use maybe the term codependency, you would understand that is a way of doing that. You know, just giving you just a simple definition of codependency. Codependency is a concept that attempts to characterize imbalanced relationships where one person enables another person's self-destructive tendencies, such as either addiction or poor mental health or immaturity or irresponsibility or underachievement, and undermines that other person's relationship, where you, in one sense, say, you know, I'll take on everything for them. And, and you actually enable them to be destructive. You actually enable them to do that. Well, it's probably understanding that this is speaking of that, that there is a dangerous place where you would say, hey, you know, I'll take on everything for that person. And I just want to say it in a most simple way, that's not a wise way to live. You're not really meant to live that way. You know, I will say it so often uh, when I sit down to counsel somebody, and we have this conversation where I, in a sense, say, you are responsible for you. You can't fix anybody else. You can't make their decisions for them. You know, if it's in your marriage, if it's your kids, if it's somebody else, you can decide how you're going to handle a situation, even when it comes to them. But when it really comes to the end of the day, God is not holding you accountable for their decisions. He's holding you accountable for your decisions. And, and sometimes that your decisions will influence there, sometimes it won't. But one of the great places to learn to live in life is to not allow somebody else to put you into that place, to be in that place where you, you know, kind of take on soul, like, hey, you know, they're, all their bad decisions are my bad decisions, and, and I'll do anything to, you know, keep them afloat. It's like, no, that's a bad thing to do. You should be asking, God, what do you want me to do? What's my place to play in this? How am I supposed to handle this? How do I be the godly man, godly woman I'm supposed to be, regardless of what they are? And it's a great place to be. It's actually really, really freeing. Uh, again, I'm probably spending more time on this than I ought to, because I wasn't going to do that, but it, for me as a parent, you know, in raising our kids, especially in teenage years, some of you understand those, some of you have great teenagers and you're great, but some of you have had those hard years. It was really good for me just to come out and say, you know what, I'm not responsible for their bad decisions. I'm responsible for my decisions. And I just, it, when, I can't, when I had to make decisions, it was like, what's the right thing for me to do, regardless of what they're going to do, regardless of how they're going to respond to my decisions, it's not my problem. My problem is, God, am I being the person I'm supposed to be? Am I showing the love of Christ? Am I doing this? Not that I'm going to try to live through their decisions. And it's incredibly helpful. I mean, for me, so often when I finally figure that out, it's like a weight would lift off my shoulders. It's like, oh, I'm not carrying them. You know, it's not my, really, I mean, I, the, my choices are really pretty limited at this point in time. And this is what God would have for me is incredibly free. And, and so, again, more time than I meant to spend on that. So let's leave that and you can flip the page. All right. Now he goes in and gives us another thought, again, as, as Proverbs does, just jumping subjects. It says, he who loves transgression loves strife. He who exalts his gate seeks destruction. So he says, if you love transgression, you love sin, like you like to sin, if that's the life that you're going to choose to do, he says, here's the thing, well, then you love strife. You love problems. 
Now, again, you're just going to think this through with me for a minute. Nobody would ever say that. Like, you know, they, they might say, well, I like doing what I do. It's like, well, then you love having a problematic life. Like, you're, you love life going bad for you. And they're like, no, I don't like life going bad for me. I just like doing this. It's like, well, I'm telling you, if you choose to love what is wrong, you're choosing a self-destructive, you know, it's going to bring problems into your life, guaranteed. You know, it's like, it's a choice that you've made because you choose to love what God hates. And that is always going to go bad for you. And he says, he who exalts his gate. It's an interesting Hebrew phrase that uh, is a little bit questionable as far as what it means, but probably has the idea of pride probably has the idea of exalting your gate, maybe in, in power or authority or pride. And it's, again, the kind of same concept. You do this, then you are seeking destruction. No, nobody would ever say that. No, it's like, that's exactly, I'm trying to destroy my life. That's what I'm trying to do. But pride does that, right? We've already talked about that, and likely it's saying the same thing, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Choose to be prideful. I know where your path is going. Exalt yourself, exalt your own gate. I can tell you, what, you know, and, and nobody's ever thinking that. Nobody's ever like, I'm just putting myself above everybody else, and I'm really hoping, you know, that things go badly for me, that I just would destroy, you know, seeking destruction. He said, but that's what you're doing. You choose to resist what God has. You choose to reject his ways, then you are choosing the consequences as, as clear as it could be because it is that way. And so he's calling us to see past that, to see, you know what? Choosing God's ways are right because I don't, want, I don't want to mess up my life. I don't want destruction. So I, I want to see where the course goes and I'm going to choose the path that goes to the right course because God's ways work well into our lives. And certainly he's calling us to that. All right. Keep going. Verse 20. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. So he gives us this, this person who has a deceitful heart, that lying to themselves in many ways, lying and, and, and just that sense of living the self-destructive life, he says, here's what you can find. You're not going to find any good with that. You know, you, you reject that. You live this place of doing that. It's going to go that way for you because you're, you're choosing that way. And he who has a, a perverse tongue, you know, that, you know, if you, if you just let your tongue run wild and say whatever it is you want to say, you know, you're going to fall into evil. You know, that your tongue is going to get you into a lot of trouble. Your mouth is going, to, is going to bring you into a lot of problems. Simply, sadly, simply true. Which, by the way, quick FYI, we'll see a few more Proverbs in this section. This little section is just like a bummer. I mean, it's like, it's like watch, let's just talk about how people mess up their lives. And so we're going to watch those who exalt their gate. We're going to watch those who love transgression. We're going to watch those who lie to themselves and have this perverse tongue. It's not meant to be a pretty picture. But it's in one sense to go, that is true. You, you reject, this is not what God wants. He doesn't want us to lie to ourselves. He doesn't want us to have this perverse tongue. But choose this, you choose a mess uh, that would mess up your life. Add to that, verse 21, says, He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and a father of a fool has no joy. That to be, you know, to have a child that does become someone who scoffs, who rejects all that God would say, rejects truth, rejects his ways, he says it just brings sorrow. It just brings sorrow to a father, and in many ways, it is, you know, you know sorrow, does so in sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. That in that sense, just to look at this there, that 
being that person that watches that happen. Again, we've talked about it a little bit in Proverbs, so I just touch it briefly. It's just simply true. In one sense, we're in this section that is almost highlighting watching people mess up their lives. This is one of the tragic places. It's terrible to watch people mess up their lives. It's horrible to watch your kids mess up their lives, um, to watch people do it. It's like, man, that's just... It's just joy stealing. It's just joy robbing to have there. I think about what it tells us in the New Testament that there's no greater joy than when our kids are doing well. But when they're doing badly, when they're doing badly, it just robs us. It brings sorrow, it brings joy. And so again, he's just showing us how miserable in one sense it is to go God, not go God's way, to reject his plan. All right. Now, it gives a different thought for us. In verse 22, we get to rise out of some of those just sad pictures that were just piled on top of each other, although it's not done. There's going to be a couple more. Um, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit drives the bone. That a merry heart, joy. Joy and, and having just this refreshment of joy. He says it's good. It does good like medicine. It does good, it brings that. Instead, in contrast to that, a broken spirit, to, to, to the very opposite of joy, the place of being broken on the inside, it literally dries the bones. Now, fascinatingly enough, simply put, I just want to tell you this is true. I mean, I hope you figure this out in your own life, um, but statistically it's true. I mean, there have been so many studies that have actually been done, and you've probably even heard. I mean, it's not an actual statement from this, but it really does derive you know, from this verse where you'll hear people say, hey, laughter is the best medicine, that it really is that way. And they've done studies, and they found out it's really true. Like joy, like laughter, it, it's not just you know, make your day a little bit better. It literally physically affects your body. I mean, joy literally can change things, and sorrow, it literally can bring destruction. That, that sorrow going badly is one of those places, and so he's reasoning with us. Now, some of you might be responding to that, saying, well, Jim, my problem is that's how I'm made. You know, I mean, you're, are you talking about personality types here? Are you talking about some people who are kind of the half glass, you know, the glass is half full to the glass is half empty kind of thing? No. Joy is different than that. In fact, I can say it this way because joy is actually commanded for us. When, when we give it to us in the Bible, I think about one of the famous verses there in Philippians where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. That's a command. And it's a command not given to just certain personality types. It's a command given to us. How can you do that? Because the joy is not in you and the joy is not in what you're going through. The joy is in him. It's like, I'm so glad God's real. I'm so glad God's good. I'm so glad God's working. I can choose to find joy in that. I can choose to find joy. I can choose to find joy not in the world in which I live or the circumstances that I'm necessarily facing. I can choose to find joy. And what he's saying is when you're there, when you have this merry heart, it'll do good. I mean, it's like, it's like medicine. And I'm just telling you, it is literally so. Joy will physically affect you. But being broken, having this broken spirit, it'll literally bring in destruction. Again, there's interesting stats that are being run by some right now, but it's hard to get even honest assessment of it. But I'll just tell it to you this way. I think COVID killed a lot of people because of this. I, I, I think there was probably many that, you know, they, they died not of, of COVID. They died of emptiness. They died of loneliness. They, I think some in nursing homes who, you know, lived in this space that part of the reason they moved into a nursing home was for connection and fellowship. 
and then they were cut off from that, and, and they walked in it. You know, again, I'm just speaking this. I'm just telling you honestly, that's what happened to my mom. You know, she passed away in the midst of COVID, but I don't think it wasn't COVID. It was this. Her life just drained of all joy. It was like, what's the point of living? I can't, I can't even go, I can't even eat with people in the dining room. I can't, I can't leave. I can't see my friends. I can't, I can't do anything. And, and I watched that just rack her, her life. And I'm just telling you, I just think it's so. I think it's that way. So I'm just calling you. Just joy. You know, it really is you can choose joy. You could, you could let yourself be overcome by sorrow. And there's enough sorrow in this world to, to crush your spirit every day. But you can find joy in the Lord. And, and it will do good for you. It will do good. It will do good for me when we can pause and say, God, I'm not, I'm not excited about my world, but I'm excited about you. I'm excited about what you are. I'm so glad you're faithful. I'm so glad you're good. And I just want to tell you, it is literally and practically true. All right. Well, let's keep going. Verse 23. A wicked, a wicked man, woman, either way. The word man's not in the original text, so it's just, it's a wicked person accepts a bribe behind the back. They will be those who could be bribed to do the wrong things, receiving that to pervert the way of justice. It's just a horrible picture. We spent a little bit of time last week for anybody who was here that we talked about bribes and their ugliness and their space, and he just says, it's a wicked person that'll take it. It's a wicked person who'll accept a bribe. To, to let somebody pay you or do something to move you to, to, to do something you shouldn't do, it's it's not just wrong, it comes from wickedness. May God just cause us not to be there, to be those that that doesn't work for us because he's calling us away from that. Verse 24, wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. So wisdom is in the sight. That's actually the outcome. So we kind of do a line under it because it's saying here's what's going to happen that Wisdom will be before your eyes. It'll be in this place of why. The one who has understanding, the one who believes and understands that you do this, it's going to put this thing that you will see the eye, see the world through the eyes of wisdom, we might say. In contrast, the eyes of a fool. Again, the Proverbs definition of a fool is one that rejects God, rejects his ways, says no to God, says no to his truth. Says that person, they're on the ends of the earth, that uh, they're on, uh, in, in the midst of it. It's kind of an interesting proverb. I mean, I don't know where you land with all this. I mean, in one sense, it could just be saying that they're a foolish person's eyes are on the world, and, and, and that would be certainly true. I think about what Paul tells us in Corinthians, that we walk by faith and not by sight, for the things of this world are passing away, and we're looking at the things that are, are, are big and real and, and meant to be in the space of all that. It should co- certainly be calling us to that. But there's a, just the way it words it in the, in the Hebrew text has the idea, not just of the idea of looking at the world or what it is, but it's almost this randomness. It's almost this being just drawn to it. I think about it this way. In the New Living Translation, it will say, you know, sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. And, and maybe that idea of wandering is key within the, the way the Hebrew text reads it. So you can say, okay, if you're, if, if you're sensible, you're going to constantly like look at the world through wisdom. Like, okay, this is what's true. You know, fear God. You know, do His ways. Walk in His paths. I mean, wisdom will be your perspective. But the foolish, I mean, it's as if I'm over here. No, I'm over here. 
I think about this. No, I'm actually, well, that's actually interesting. I mean, you, you, they're just constantly moving their perspectives, their worldview, the way they live. And it's this randomness that um, would speak of the way they live and view their life. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's a place where you never know, you know, kind of where they're landing and all of that. And so he's just simply saying, hey, we want to be those who kind of see the world through wisdom. You know, that we're constantly saying, I want to view the world the way that God says to view it. And he says, that would be that. That would be just life to you and help. All right. Turn the page. Verse 25. A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. So it's kind of saying the same thing we saw in verse 21. You know, we see this foolish son. It's a grief to a father. It's a bitterness to, his, to the one who bore him, to, to his mom. And again, just again, highlighting out to us, hey, it's a terrible thing. It, it's something that you're, that's just hard to walk through. And I just want to pause and say, most of us understand this. Some of you feel it right now. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. There's no way, easy way to deal with that. There's no easy way except for you to say, that's true. <laughs> it is a grief. It, it just breaks my heart that my kids are doing so badly right now. And, and I'm sorry. You know, God understands it. And he just says, hey, that's true. You're, you're not, you, what you feel is not a, a wrong feeling. Uh, may God rescue them. May God do a work in them. He brings back prodigals because watching one stay in a, in a place of fool, folly is a hard, hard, it's grief and it's bitterness and it's just true. Verse 26 also, to punish the righteous is not good, nor to strike princes for their uprightness. So to punish the righteous, the, the, to do that, just simply says it's not good. It's a pretty simple thing, right? I mean, we think about the, the world in which we live, and, you know, right is called wrong, and wrong is called right. He says it's a bad thing when somebody's doing the right thing and you need to punish them for that. That's when you know things are really bad. When, when somebody's doing good and they get in trouble for doing the right thing. He says it's, it's just to punish the righteous. It's not good. Or to strike princes. And so somebody who's living nobly or righteously in that sense, to strike them for their uprightness. It's just, it's wrong. It's just something that God would look at that and say that. And I say it this way. If you're a child of God, you're, a, you're in that sense a prince. You're, you're part of the kingdom of God. And it's such a sad thing that our world so often rewards that, uh, what we do good for evil. But somehow, again, it's just worth saying, yep, that's bad. <laughs> uh, it is, it is a, a bad, bad space for that to be things that would be at work in our lives. It's one of those places that we want to look and say, yeah, you know, not wanting to be a part of it. May it not be so for us. I mean, again, we don't want to be those who are going through that, but at the same point, may you be the one that doesn't do that, that doesn't reward somebody for doing good. All right, verse 27. It says, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. One of the things that Proverbs is highlighting, this value of wisdom is this place where we would see even how we say what we say. So he says, if you have knowledge, I mean, if you understand, if, if you have a grasp of what's true and the way things are supposed to work and the way that things can get themselves into trouble, you will be careful with your words. You will spare your words. You will understand how much it can hurt just to let a, a frivolous word land. You'll be the one that we, we talk about it out of the book of James, where it says, you know, that we can tame all manner of beasts, but who can tame the tongue? He says, you know, the tongue is this unruly evil. It is destructive. 
and, and, and to become this person who begins to believe in wisdom means you don't say everything you think. You're careful with your words. You weigh what you say before you say it, and sometimes you just bite your tongue because you know, like, I want to say this, but it's going to either be hurtful or harmful or I, just, I, I shouldn't say this. Now, again, I'm hoping that as I'm saying this right now, most of you are like, I do that. You know, there, there's, there's times, many times in the day you know, that I bite my tongue, that I don't say what I'm thinking about saying. But I am going to say it carefully. We live in a world that is encouraging this. That they'll sometimes say that it's even good. Like, say everything you think. Like, just be transparent. Just be real. I just want you to know that will go destructively. And if you're that person who is saying everything you think, that's destructive. That is not wise. You're going to hurt people. You're going to grieve God. I mean, he's just saying, if you have knowledge, you will spare your words. You will hold back and not say everything you're thinking. A man of understanding who has this, you have this calm spirit where you're just like, okay, you know, you're just thinking it through, just not going to be this person that's immediately explosive. You know, think about it again. I'm using the, the, the James because James says it so well where he says, hey, you know, we should be quick to hear. You know, we should be quick to hear and, and, and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because we, that's the idea of a calm spirit. It's like, you know, I'm not going to explode at everything that's said. And again, I, I just recognize how hard this is. We live in a world that at times can bring us to that. But one of the things that God is inviting you to do is not to be that person. It doesn't mean that sometimes you can't speak and say things that grieve you about our world or things that are happening, but it, sh- you know, it shouldn't be that kind of thing that incites you in 30 seconds or five seconds. It's like you hear, it's like, well, I'll tell you what I think about that. You know, it's like, it's like you could sh- calm down, like calm down, like think about what you're going to say before you say it. You know, kind of just as if you would do that. If you have knowledge, if you have understanding, that's how you live your life. That you, that you think about things. You're like, hey, I'm, I'll, I'll think about that for a little bit. I'm going to let it kind of settle, and then I'll choose what I'm going to say. That's how God wants us to live, and how powerful it would be, because here's the deal. Words change things. Words influence people all the time. To be someone who believes in the power of what that is, is someone who values that. Now, I totally love this. In fact, he continues it in the next verse. So you can flip the page over there and gives it to us in another way. He says, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace, and when he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. I absolutely love this one. I absolutely love what this is saying. So he says, even a fool, even somebody who is a fool, like they don't know, do all, if they, you hold your tongue, people go, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, that, that person, they seem like they're wise because they don't say everything they think. When he, when he, when he, when he holds his peace, when you don't say everything you think, people will just think that you're smarter than you think you are. And uh, just because you're just careful in the way that you do it. When you shut your lips, he says, when you, when you don't do it, people take a look at it and go, man, that, that person's perceptive and, and, and wise. And again, I actually really like this proverb quite a bit, uh, thinking about it in a sense that there's just power in this. Um, you know, sometimes I'll look at this and I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I think, man, I'm just not that smart. You know, just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And it's like, you know, Probably the best thing I could do is be quiet because then people will think, you know, like maybe he's actually really, knows what he, I don't you know, there is that sense of just thinking, Lord, that is true. I, I, I think about it. There's a, 
a quote that says it this way. It's just better to keep your mouth closed and let all people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. I love the quote. By the way, we don't actually know who it says. Sometimes it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. It's not really solidly given that way. Some will say Mark Twain uh, in the midst of it. Nowhere can we actually find it actually land. It is what this proverb is saying, and so I can simply say it's true. But I'd just sit there and say, hey, I, for some hot reason, this one just echoes with me. I mean, like every now and then I have this conversation uh, with, with even my wife, and you're getting ready. It's like, I'm going to have to go up there and talk. Like, I'm going to open my mouth. If people thought I was, they're going to find out. Like, he doesn't have a lot to say. You know, like, I just, it's just, you feel like there's that kind of place that you're going to just, like, I'm going to open my mouth and just, you know, just say that. And I'm telling you, there's something wise in being that kind of person that says, you know what? I don't just talk all the time. And I don't just share my opinions on everything that is on every matter. I think about what I'm going to say. And I think about how it's going to be heard. And then I think, God, is this what you want me to say? Before I say it, you know, like before I get into this conversation, I I allow myself to process that. And in a sense, he's just calling us to this kind of person that you would be that. And again, I I recognize for some of you, I'm speaking about you and you're doing well at this. And you're like, wow, you know, if people knew everything that kind of went through my head, they would know. I mean, like I, there's so many things I think that I don't say they should be really glad. Um, But some of you aren't. I mean, we live in this world where never before has you know, the mass of humanity being experts on anything and everything than it is now. I mean, if you're on social media at all, you know what I'm talking about. Like, everybody knows everything. I mean, and, and everybody's willing to share their wisdom, why they know everything about what you should be doing, you know, and they'll tell you why you should be doing what you should be doing, and, you know, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what you should do, and it's like, man, it's, just, it's, it's and it's wild. I mean, the sheer arrogance of it is crazy. When you think, so, like, so you really, you really think you know better about everything. Like you, you do that, but that's the world in which we live. We really do live in this world where sin is rampant and arrogance is much, and God is inviting you to a different space, to the kind of place that you choose when you're going to share wisdom. And when you really, I, I think I have something worth saying. I think this is true. This is what God would say. And so, you know, you're in this conversation at work, or you're in the conversation at the break room, and people are talking about something. And instead of just spouting whatever just came to your mind, and then later going, I don't even know why I said that. That was really dumb. You know, you've thought about it. It's like, you know, you know, guys, I, I just want to tell you what God has to say about this. And this is kind of how I, you know, this is what he says. And I believe that. And there it is. I mean, you've thought about it, you've done that, how powerful that would be, and how good it would be sometimes if you would just be quiet. Like, you know, I'm just going to sit here, and this conversation is going nowhere, and I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not getting in on it. You know, I'm just going to be this person that says, you know, I'm just going to hold my, 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 my lips. I'm going to hold my peace. I'm going to shut my lips. And then some of you are like, man, this person, like, you're really smart. It's like, no, you just, you just don't know the folly that I'm holding back at this moment, you know, because I don't know everything. I don't know how you should make every decision. I don't know everything about how the life that you should live. I mean, I'm just not in that space, and, and I'm not going to speak into that. But where I can speak, I'm going to be very careful and very precise, and it becomes this beautiful place where God would invite you and I into being such a person, that, that it would be so. And so one more time, just with an invitation. You know, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. That's the God's plans for your life. Guarantee it that you should be like, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't say everything. And I'm going to think about it because you know what? 
friendships and families and people, it's sometimes been that single conversation that divides. It was that conversation that people are not able to get over. I, I've had conversations with people, and it's like, hey, there we were, and, we're saying, and this person said that, and I've never been able to get past it. It's like, really? Like that one, like, really? I mean, we'll talk about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness, but I'm also just thinking, you know, how better it would be to think, you know, I'm just not going to do that. I just don't want to be that. I want to be careful. I want to be precise because, you know, wisdom would do this, and, and I want to hold my peace. I, I, I want to shut my lips and make sure that that's exactly the kind of person that God would call me and walk, have me to walk in. Well, that brings us to the end of the chapter. So that's really where we're going to end this evening. But I want to go back for just a second to verse 17 as we begin to kind of think through what we've heard this evening and, and, and the processes of things that we've heard. I hope that some of it has landed, whether it's calling you to joy or whether it's calling you to wisdom or just identifying with you in some of the grief that you're feeling. But I want to go back to chapter, verse 17 where it just simply said, again, there's this friend that loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity Again, true, hope you have that in your life, but I just want to again draw you to Jesus for a moment. I, I want you to think about that this is exactly what he wants to be for you. He wants to be this one that would be your friend, that would be the one that would do life with you, that he's the one that was born for adversity. I mean, that's the reason he was born. He humbled himself, became a man to take your sin your pain, your sorrow, your suffering, to enter into our world, to rescue us from that. And it tells us he understands us. You know, because of that, because of him coming a man, Hebrews would say, hey, he understands all that we're going through, that he understands our fears, he understands our, our weaknesses, he understands what's taking place. And, and there's compassion there, that, he, that he's one that would look upon who we are and, and, and see that and rescue us from it, both by his intercession for us, but that's why he was born. He was born for adversity. He was born to die. He was born to give his life on the cross, to pay the price for our sins, to fix the brokenness that we are. And, and, and to believe that, to wrap our arms around that, is to find the greatest help that we could find in life. It, it's the key to salvation. And if you know Jesus this evening, then you have that. And if you don't, then we're inviting you to this, that this is why Jesus was born, to, to rescue you from your pain, sorrow, and suffering. And we invite you to believe upon him. But it's meant to go past that, to, to past just a saving beginning relationship, but to where Jesus really is your best friend, where you would recognize he cares about you. He is praying for you all the time. Hebrews tells us he is ever at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. And so he invites us to come boldly before the throne, casting our cares upon him, that we would go boldly before him and say, here we find one that both is God, but in his humanity, fully comprehends what we go through, understands our weaknesses, understands our sorrows, and invites us to find a refuge in his friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to him in prayer. I hope that's your life. I hope I'm saying that to you this evening. You're like, that's what I believe and that's what I know. And so that's where we're going to kind of land this evening and we're going to do so in taking communion. Now, we usually take communion on Wednesday nights on the last Wednesday night of the month.